My text for the message this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, that counts from the day of his resurrection Sunday to the next Sunday, all inclusive, that's eight days. So it's a Sunday night. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Now we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand it. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to preach it. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to profit from it. You are able to help us, so we ask that you would even this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard for us to imagine the despair that the disciples experienced on that first Resurrection Sunday. They um, really did believe. Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the others had also confessed that with him. But then they saw Jesus crucified. They said they would lay down their lives for him. They said they would never leave him. But of course they did. But now it was all darkness, all darkness, because they did not understand the promise of the resurrection. Now, the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ did remember the words of Jesus. So they had this tomb sealed. They had a guard set because they feared that the disciples would steal the body of Jesus. That was the furthest thing from the disciples' minds. They dwelt in, in dank, musty darkness from Friday late afternoon until the light began to dawn on Resurrection Day. The light did dawn on their souls, but it was very gradual. As you heard in the scripture reading, the women saw Jesus first and came back, reported it. We read that Peter and John ran to the tomb, but they still didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't believe the report of the women. Even though there was an empty tomb, even though the linen cloths were lying there and the handkerchief was folded and put in a separate place, uh, they, they, didn't, they, they didn't understand. They didn't believe. In fact, the unbelief was so strong that two of the disciples decided to go home. 
And so they made a seven-mile trek on the Emmaus Road. But then in the evening, Jesus appeared to ten of his disciples. He showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And they were commissioned. Prior to that appearing, we know that Jesus appeared to the two who were walking on the Emmaus Road and opened the Old Testament scriptures so that they would understand that he had to suffer before he could enter into his glory. They handled him. Now certainly everyone will believe, will they not? No, they will not. Because there was one man, and you all know his name, Thomas, who would not believe even though he had the testimony and the witness of his friends. But who is this man, Thomas, the doubter? Well, I want us to think about him for just a little bit before I get into the meat of the exposition of this passage. Thomas is mentioned in the New Testament uh, as uh, and a number of times. Uh, he, um, he, is a, he is a man who is subject to what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said was spiritual depression. He was inclined this way in his temperament. Dr. Martin Joy Lloyd-Jones deals with the subject of doubt in two chapters of his very helpful book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, chapters 10 and 11. Uh, chapter 10's title is, uh, Where is Your Faith? And the title of chapter 11 is Looking at the Waves. Where is your faith? That was a time when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples he went to sleep. The storm came. They roused him. They said, do you not care that we perish? And he says, where's your faith? Jesus was in the boat with them. And then, of course, the other time when the doubt came on Peter when he was walking on the water and he got frightened of the waves and began to sink. And so he, too, had those doubts. Well, Thomas was in that category. Now, in this sermon, I am not speaking about medical depression, as Professor Alan Thomas points out in a helpful article in the February 2020 Banner of Truth magazine, uh, there is such a thing as a medical depression that directly damages the brain and mental function. That was not the problem with Thomas. He had what um, has commonly been known now as spiritual depression. Thomas had no physical disease. He had a spiritual problem in his own soul. Now, have you ever had serious doubts about your faith? Do you profess faith and yet tend toward spiritual depression at times? Thomas had this weakness. He is mentioned some 12 times in the New Testament. Eight of those mentions are in the Gospel of John, and five of those eight are here in our passage that I read to you this a few moments ago. In John chapter 11, Thomas is mentioned in verse 16. The disciples were following Jesus to Judea. At that time, Jesus had the threat of death hanging over him. And when Jesus said, let's go to Judea, Thomas says, well, let's just all go and we'll all die with him. Uh, you, he, he was a puddle dog. He looked at always at the worst. You know the type, I'm sure. Yet he was loyal. He said, we will go and die with him. So even though he was tended toward this dark attitude, 
He was willing to die for, with the Lord Jesus. In chapter 14, you remember, Jesus said, I um, let not your heart be troubled. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Thomas shows his lack of understanding when he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And of course, Jesus answered him by saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. But again, we see that Thomas wanted to be with Jesus. That was his desire. I want you to observe from the very beginning of our study of this passage that a believer may have doubts and yet be a true believer. Thomas was a true believer. I hope that no one of you would ever say that Thomas was a pagan or an infidel or an unbeliever. He was not. He believed. He loved Christ. He wanted to be with Christ. And yet we find that his doubts were greater than any of the other disciples. He was a man that needed to be rescued. And our Lord Jesus Christ did rescue him from the doubt which he was experiencing. Now we see Thomas in the passage that I just read to you from chapter 20. He was obviously absent on that first Lord's Day night when Jesus met with the disciples. Why wasn't he there? Well, we're not told, but I'm guessing that because of his spiritual depression, because of his despondency, he just didn't want to be with people. That often happens when people have doubts and get despondent and have this malady of spiritual depression. But Thomas was transformed into a man of confident faith very, very quickly, eight days later, as we have read in the passage. And as I see it, Thomas went through three different states. He was, first of all, in the state of depression, spiritual depression. Secondly, he was in the state of dawning or dramatic light. And thirdly, he was in the state of confident faith and joy. And I want to look at those three states or conditions into which Thomas found himself and which we find him here in the scripture. First of all, I see that Thomas was in the state of depression. Now, in this state of spiritual depression, he had very, very strong doubts he refused the testimony of his friends. Uh, verse 25 tells us that uh, these, he had at least 10 of his friends, 10 of his friends who told him what they had seen. And the NASB gives a very helpful translation of verse 25 when it translates it this way. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. They were saying, it's not just that they came to him one time and said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We, 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 have, uh, we, we, we know he's raised from the dead. No, they kept saying over and over again. So they must have had contact with him through the week. So, but Thomas' strong doubt persisted. I can imagine something of the conversations that must have taken place when they said to Thomas, well, we've seen his hands. We've seen the nail prints in his hands. We have seen his side. We have seen his feet. We saw him eat. We know that he is truly physically, bodily raised from the grave. And Thomas, persisting in his strong doubt, said, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'll never believe. 
That's how strong his doubt was. Not only did he have strong doubt, he had an un, it was an unreasonable doubt. Uh, verse 25, the last part says, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his sides, he says, I will not believe. In other words, what Thomas said is, I've got to have, um, I've got to use the scientific method. And I'm not going to trust anybody else who uses the scientific method. I myself personally must observe. I must feel before I will ever know and believe what you, my friends, are telling me. Now that is unreasonable and it is very dangerous. It put him in the position that unless that he could personally verify it. Personally verify it with what we today call scientific evidence, he would not believe. But at the same time, I want you to remember that this doubt that Thomas had was doubt in a true believer who really did love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that doubt and faith can coexist in the same soul. And perhaps that's what some of you are in today. You see what's happening around us. You think of what's happening in our world, in the United States, in Canada, in Barbados, and in Europe, and many other places. And perhaps you're thinking, as you're close to discouragement and despair, Unless I can see, I can see a decrease in the number of cases. Unless I can see a decrease in the number of deaths. Unless I can see the stock market rise. Only then will I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is really with us. Well, I hope that you're not thinking that way. Uh, but if you are. It doesn't mean that you're not necessarily a believer in Christ. For Thomas had very strong, unreasonable doubts, which believers may have today. Well, we've seen Thomas in this state of spiritual depression. Now let's move on to the second state or condition in which we find Thomas, and that is the state, uh, the state of dawning light. Or, as I thought about it, I could say the state of dramatic light that happened to him. And what I want you to see is the one who delivered Thomas from the darkness was Jesus Christ himself. It is Christ alone who delivers from darkness. It is Christ alone who settles the doubts in our minds. And so I, what I want you to do is to consider with me and to meditate upon the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, what qualities he has, what attributes he has that show that he delivered Thomas from darkness and doubt and distress, and he can deliver you as well. If you find yourself doubting or spiritually depressed today because of the circumstances that surround us here in this world. So who is it that delivered this man, 
doubting Thomas from his doubt? Well, it is Jesus Christ. It is the gentle Christ. Oh, I want you to see his gentleness and his love. This is astonishing, is it not? What happens is Jesus Christ comes on that second resurrection Sunday. And he appears specifically to address Thomas in the presence of the other disciples. And what are the first words that come from Jesus' mouth? Peace be to you. Oh, what love, what grace, amazing love. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A lost man, lost in his doubts. And yet Jesus Christ comes to him, even though his doubts were unreasonable, even though they were so strong, even though he should not have had them. And the first words are peace to you. Are you spiritually depressed? Are you doubting? Well, the first word that Jesus has for you as a believer is peace. He loves you. He comes with gentleness. He is meek and lowly. This is the risen Christ that we worship. The gentle, risen Christ. You remember when Jesus Christ was in the boat with his disciples and that storm came? Before he asked them where their faith was, he stilled the storm. Spoke peace to the storm. And my dear friend, this is the dawning light in the soul of a spiritually depressed and doubting believer that you first need to hear. The word of peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who takes away doubt. It is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Would you say... I don't see him. I mean, Thomas got to see him. The, the, the men in the boat were there with him. But I don't see him. How do I know that he's with me? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, he is with you. Remember his promise that he gave to his disciples? He said he was going away to his father. But when he went away to his father, he says, I promise you that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit from heaven to earth. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He is with you now. He will be in you. And the Holy Spirit has been given to each one of God's children. And the Holy Spirit gives light and understanding. The Holy Spirit is the one who assures us in our hearts that the Bible is true, that the promises of God are true. And so you do have Christ with you if you are a, if you are a follower of Christ and if you are really in him. He is with you. Never forget that. And so dawning light means that you understand there is a gentle Christ, a gentle Christ who speaks peace to your soul. But a second, a second attribute of Christ that we see here in this passage is his wisdom. Oh, the wisdom of Christ. He, the wisdom is really, is really amazing. Because what Jesus does, after he says peace, he answers every single objection that Thomas had. His gentleness is his love and his wisdom. He said to Thomas, just reach, look and reach. 
Reach your hand, put it in my side. Put your finger in the nail prints. And, and Thomas had said, uh, unless I do that, I'll never believe. Now, do you think Thomas did that? I read a Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon sermon on the uh, verse 28 of this text. And um, it's an excellent sermon. I commend it to you. It's in volume 34 of his sermons. And in that sermon, C.H. Spurgeon uh, suggests that Thomas didn't do it because he, he, Spurgeon thinks that Thomas was so overwhelmed with reverence and awe that he would have stepped back and not only and not and not actually handled and touched the Lord Jesus as the Lord Jesus told him to do. And Spurgeon said in that sermon that he asked a dear friend what he thought, and he said the dear friend agreed with him and thought the same. However, as I read the commentators, they all disagree with Spurgeon. You can take your choice as to which is right, but I would have you notice this. I would have you notice this, that what, uh, <clears throat> what, what, what Jesus asked Thomas to do was no more than what had happened the week before. Because on that first resurrection night, we read in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, he said to the disciples, handle me and see, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This was a command. I don't know when Thomas reached out his finger to put in the nail prints. I don't know when it was that Thomas thrust his hand into the side. But I sort of suspect that he did it because it was a command of Christ. But be that as it may, the point is this. The wisdom of Christ in addressing every single argument that Thomas brought, he honored Thomas's desire for scientific proof when he wouldn't have had to, but he did. So we see the gentleness, the love, and the wisdom of Christ. And furthermore, furthermore, we see the omniscience of Christ. Omniscience, of course, means that God knows everything. Jesus Christ knew everything. There is no record in any of the Gospels that there was any sightings of the Lord Jesus Christ between that first resurrection night and the second resurrection, no, no indication whatsoever. And yet Jesus repeated verbatim the exact arguments that Thomas brought as to what it would take for him to actually believe. Exactly. That must have had a huge impact upon on Thomas to realize that here this one in whose presence he was now knew what he had said, knew what he was thinking, and knew all his doubts. And my dear friend, Jesus Christ knows the musings of your heart. Everything is open to him. He knows it all. He knows what you're thinking. He knows any doubts and fears that you may have. And yet he loves you. And yet he's gentle with you. And yet he reveals himself as Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. 
Jesus showed Thomas what his basic problem was. It was a lack of belief. And so Jesus said to Thomas, be believing. Don't be unbelieving, but rather be believing. And that is the call that Jesus Christ has for you today. As a believer, believe it. Believe that Christ is with you. Believe that Christ can help you. Believe that Christ can deliver you from all your fears. He is able and he will as you look to him and trust in him. Well, I've attempted to show you Thomas in this state of spiritual depression, doubt and despair, and to show you Thomas in the state of dawning and dramatic light. Now, finally, I want to direct your attention to Thomas in the state of confident faith and joy. It is... um, It is amazing, isn't it? Can you say joyfully with Thomas, my Lord and my God, the doubt left, the depression left. There was nothing but joy. My Lord and my God. I'm sure that many of you make this confession. I thank God for that. That the Lord has opened your heart, that you can confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God. But there are some implications in that confession. And what I want to do is to point out to you two essential ingredients of this confession. First of all, we see that Thomas's basic problem and the first ingredient of of, of being delivered from from spiritual depression and doubt is theological. The first ingredient is theological or doctrinal. Are you surprised that I say that? Well, you see, this was the problem with Thomas. He didn't believe the right theology, but he came to believe the right theology. He lacked doctrinal understanding. But then when the dramatic light shone in his heart, he believed. He believed that Jesus Christ was physically, bodily alive, had risen out of the grave. He believed that Jesus Christ is Lord, not just Lord in in the sense that he was his master, but Lord in the sense that he was Lord over all, Jesus Christ. And it prepared Thomas, frankly, for the ascension. When Jesus Christ would ascend to heaven, be at the right hand of the Father, and there exercise, as he is right now, his lordship over all creation in all the world. Thomas confessed him as Lord. And furthermore, Thomas confessed Jesus Christ to be God. He said, my God, that is, he believed in the deity of Jesus Christ. It was like he should have known that before. Perhaps he even confessed that before in some sense. But now he understands completely that Jesus is God. Do you make that confession? The resurrection, preparing him for his ascension, his lordship ruling over all in heaven. And God, very God of very God. We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son to die for us, to live for us, to rise from the dead, to ascend to heaven and rule over us. And the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to comfort and instruct and lead and guide and illuminate us. We serve the triune God. Now, 
I would guess that most of you confess that, but there's another essential ingredient to confident faith and joy. It's not enough just to confess that Jesus Christ is alive and that he is Lord and that he is God and that he's ascended to heaven. But there, the other essential ingredient is this, is what the old Puritans called experiential or experimental theology. In 21st century, we say personal, personal theology. Because Thomas didn't say just Lord and God. He said, my Lord, my God. And he repeated the my both times. You see it in the text. Thomas took this truth and internalized it and said, he is mine. Can you say that he is mine? He is my Lord. He is my God. Until you can say that, you see, you, you, you're, you're, you're really a long ways from the kingdom because even the devils believe and they tremble. Even the devil himself knows that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is God. Ah, but he cannot say my Lord and my God. And Thomas had this experimental, experiential, this personal conviction in his soul that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is God. And of course, to have that means that he had to go through repentance because he had denied that. But now as a believer, he repented. And you know that repentance is a saving grace. It's not just happens when we are converted, but it is characteristic of the Christian throughout his entire life. As he comes to see new truth and realizes more of his sin, he repents continually. As Joel says, rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. This is a remarkable confession that Thomas gives, a confession that has its source in the work of the Spirit of God in his heart to come from spiritual depression and doubt and despair and darkness to the glorious light that's found in Jesus Christ himself. My dear friends, Jesus has a word for you. Listen to his word. He says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. That's the word of Jesus to you. Will you, hear, will you heed it? I trust you will. I want to speak to those of you who have never trusted Christ, you, those of you who are not converted, those of you who have only confessed perhaps uh, in, in, some, in some manner that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, but you've never really said, my Lord and my God. I want to talk to you. I understand why you're afraid today. I mean, you ought to be scared because if, if this virus or if this virus does or doesn't get you, someday you face death. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that death of which the Bible speaks is an eternal death, separation from God forever in nothing but suffering and in, in hell itself, the lake of fire. But if you will turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and 
receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe on him, you'll be saved. Saved from the coming wrath of God. That is the promise of scripture. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then, if you will come to Christ in that way, then you can have the same joy in Christ that Thomas experienced on that second resurrection Sunday. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the hope that there is in the gospel. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. We thank you that we have a Savior who is our Lord and our God. And we pray that everyone here will be able to confess my Lord and my God. My only hope for salvation, a right standing before you, my only hope in now in life and throughout eternity. And now, dear friends, receive this benediction from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.